Chapter Seventeen of Gone to Earth. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Gone to Earth by Mary Webb. Chapter Seventeen. Hazel sat on a large flat gravestone with Foxy beside her. They were like a sculpture in marble on some ancient tomb. Coming so soon after her strange moment of terror in the quarry to this place of the dead, she was smitten with formless fear. The crosses and stones had on that storm-beleaguered hillside an air of horrible bravado, as if they knew that although the winds were stronger than they, yet they were stronger than humanity, as if they knew that the whole world is the tomb of beauty, and has been made by man the torture-chamber of weakness. She looked down at the lettering on the stone. It was a young girl's grave. Oh, she muttered, looking up into the tremendous dome of blue empty and adamantine. Oh, dunna let me go young. What for did she die so young? Dunna let me, dunna. And the vast dome received her prayer empty and adamantine. She was suddenly panic-stricken. She ran away from the tombs, calling Edward's name, and Edward came on the instant. His hands were full of cabbage, which he'd been taking to the rabbit. What is it, little one? These here! The graves? Ah! They'm so drodsome! Edward pointed to a laburnum tree, which had rent a tomb, and now waved above it. See, he said, out of the grave and gate of death. Ah, but her as went in, Hannah come out, only a new tree. I'll be bound she wanted to come out. At this moment, Edward's friend, who was to marry them, arrived. Now, I shall go and wait for you to come, Edward whispered. Waiting in the dim chapel, with its whitewashed walls and few leaded windows half covered with ivy, his mind was clear of all thoughts but unselfish ones. His mother, trailing purple, came in, and thought how like a sacred picture he looked. This for her was superlative praise. Martha's brother was there, ringing the one bell, which gave such a small fugitive sound that it made the white chapel seem like a tinkling bellwether lost on the hills. Mr. James was there, and several of the congregation, and Martha, with her best dress hastily donned over her print, and a hat, of which her brother said, It'd draw tears from an egg. Mr. James's daughter played a voluntary, in the midst of which an altercation was heard outside. Her'll be lonesome without me. They wouldn't like it, it's blasphemy. Then the door opened, and Abel, very perspiring and conscious of the greatness of the occasion, led in Hazel in her wreath of drooping lilies. The green light touched her face with unnatural pallor, and her eyes, haunted by some old evil out of the darkness of life, looked towards Edward as to a saviour. She might have been one of those brides from fairy who rose, wraith-like, out of a pool or river, and had some mysterious ichor in their veins, and slipped from the grasp of mortal lover, melting like snow at a touch. Edward, watching her, was seized with an inexplicable fear. He wished she had not been so strangely beautiful, that the scent of lilies had not brought so heavy a faintness, reminding him of death-chambers. It was not till Hazel reached the top of the chapel that the congregation observed Foxy, a small red figure trotting willingly in Hazel's wake, a loving, though incompetent, bridesmaid. 
Mr. James arose and walked up the chapel. I will remove the animal, he said. Then he saw that Hazel was leading Foxy. This insult was then deliberate. A hanimal, he said, hasn't no business in a place of worship. What for not? asked Hazel. Because, Mr. James found himself unable to go on. Because not, he finished blusterously. He laid his hand on the cord, but Foxy prepared for conflict. Edward's colleague turned away, hand to mouth. He was obliged to contemplate the ivy outside the window while the altercation lasted. "'Whoever made you,' Hazel said, "'made Foxy. Where you can come, Foxy can come. Young Deacon, Foxy's bridesmaid.' "'That's heathen talk,' said Mr. James. "'How very naughty Hazel is!' thought Mrs. Marston. She felt that she could never hold up her head again. The congregation giggled. The black grapes and the chenille spots trembled. How very unpleasant, thought the old lady. Then Edward spoke, and his voice had an edge of masterfulness that astonished Mr. James. Let be, he said, other sheep I have which are not of this fold, them also will I bring. She has the same master, James. Silence fell. The other minister turned round with a surprised, admiring glance at Edward, and the service began. It was short and simple, but it gathered an extraordinary pathos as it progressed. The narcissi in the window-sills eyed Hazel in a white silence, and their dewy golden eyes seemed akin to Foxy's and her own. The fragrance of spring flowers filled the place with wistful sadness. There are no scents so tearful, so grievous, as the scents of valley lilies and narcissi clustered ghostly by the dark garden hedge, and white lilac freighted with old dreams, and pansies faintly reminiscent of mysterious lost ecstasy. Edward felt these things and was oppressed. A great pity for Hazel and her following of forlorn creatures surged over him. A kind of dread grew up in him that he might not be able to defend them as he would wish. It did seem that helplessness went to the wall. Since Hazel had come with her sad philosophy of experience, he had begun to notice facts. He looked up towards the aloof sky as Hazel had done. He is love, he said to himself. The blue sky received his certainty, as it had received Hazel's questioning, in regardless silence. Mrs. Marston observed Edward narrowly. Then she wrote in her hymn-book, Mem, Maltine, Edward. The service was over. Edward smiled at her as he passed, and met Mr. James' frown with dignified good humour. Foxy, even more willing to go out than to come in, ran on in front, and as they entered the house they heard, from the cupboard under the stairs, the ectiphthalium of the one-eyed cat. "'Oh, dear heart,' said Hazel, tremulously looking at the cake, "'I ne'er saw the like!' "'Mother iced it, dear.' Hazel ran to Mrs. Marston and put both her thin arms round her neck, kissing her in a storm of gratitude. "'There, there, quietly, my dear,' said Mrs. Marston. "'I'm glad it pleases.' She smoothed the purple silk smilingly. Hazel was forgiven. "'I'd a brought the big saw if I'd a thought,' said Abel jocosely. Only Mr. James was taciturn. 
Foxy was allowed in and perambulated the room to Mrs. Marston's supreme discomfort. Every time Foxy drew near, she gave a smothered scream. In spite of these various disadvantages, it was a merry party and did not break up till dusk. After tea, Abel played, Mr. James being very patronising, saying at the end of each piece, Very good, till Abel asked rudely, Can you play yourself? Edward came to the rescue by offering Mr. James tobacco. They drew round the fire, for the dusk came coldly, only Abel remaining in his corner playing furiously. He considered it only honest after such a tea to play his loudest. Hazel, happy but restless, played with Foxy beside the darkening window, low and many-paned and cumbered with bits of furniture dear to Mrs. Marston. Edward was showing his friend a cycle map of the country. Mrs. Marston was sleepily discussing hens, good layers, good sitters, good table fowl with Mr. James. Hazel, tired of playing with Foxy, knelt on the big round ottoman with its central peak of stuffed tapestry and looked idly from the window. Suddenly she cried out. Edward was alert in a moment. What is it, dear? Hazel had sunk back on the ottoman, pale and speechless, but she realised that she must pull herself together. I, I stuck a pin in me, she said. Pins in a wedding dress? Oh, fie, said Mrs. Marston. Pricked at your wedding, pricked for I. Oh, dear, deary me cried Hazel, bursting into tears and flinging herself at Edward's feet. Wondering, he comforted her. Mrs. Marston called for the lamp. The blinds were drawn, and all was saffron peace. Outside, in the same attitude as before, bowed and motionless, stood Reddin. He saw Hazel, watched her withdraw, and knew that she had seen him. When the window suddenly shone like daffodils, he recoiled as if at a lash, and turning went heavily down the batch. He turned into the woods and made his way back till he was opposite the house. Thence he watched the guests depart, and later saw Martha go to her cottage. The lights wavered and wandered. He saw one go up the stairs. Inside the house, Mrs. Marston, confronted with a bridle which she did not quite know how to regard, very tactfully said good-night, and left them together in the parlour. They sat there for a time, and Edward tried not to realise how much he was missing. He got up at last and lit Hazel's candle. At her door, he said good-night, hastily. Hazel took the arrangements for granted, partly because she had slept in this same room two nights ago, partly because Edward had never shown her a hint of passion. The higher the nature, the more its greatness is taken for granted. Edward turned and went to his room. Reddin, under his black roof of pines, counted the lights, and seeing that there were three, turned homewards with a sigh of relief. But as he went through the fields, he remembered how Hazel had looked last night, how she danced like a leaf, how slender and young she was. He was a man everlastingly maddened by slightness and weakness. As a boy, when his father and mother still kept up their position a little, he had broken a priceless Venetian glass, simply because he could not resist the temptation to close his hand on it. His father had flogged him, being of the stupid kind who believe that corporal punishment can influence the soul.
and Reddin had done the same thing next day with a bit of eggshell china. So now, as he thought of Hazel's lissom waist, her large eyes, rather scared, her slender wrists, he cursed until the peewits arose mewing all about him. In the thick darkness of the lonely fields he might have been some hero of the dead, mouthing a satanic recitative amid a chorus of lost souls. The long search for Hazel, begun in a whim, had ended in passion. If he had never looked for her, never felt the nettled sense of being foiled, or if he had found her at once, he would never have desired her so fiercely. Now, for the first time in his life impassioned, he felt something mysterious and unwelcome in him begin to mingle with his desire. Above all, life without her meant dullness, lack of vitality, the swift onset of middle age. He saw this with shrinking. He walked wearily, looking older than he was, in the pathos of loss. Life with her meant an indefinitely prolonged youth, an ecstasy he had not dreamt of, the well-being of his whole nature. He walked along moodily, thinking how he would have started afresh, smartened up undern, worked hard, given his children, his and Hazel's, a good education, become more sober. But he had been a fortnight too late, a miserable fortnight. He, who had raved over the countryside, had missed her. Marston, who had simply remained on his mountain, had won her. It's damned unfair, he said, and pathos faded from him in his rage. All the vague thoughts, dark and turgid of the last two nights, took shape slowly. He neither cursed nor brooded any more. He thought keenly as he walked. His face took a more powerful cast. It had never been a weak face at the worst and he looked a man that it would not be easy to combat. Bitter hatred of Edward possessed him, silent fury against fate, relentless determination to get Hazel whether she would or not. He had a purpose in life now. Vezens was surprised at his quick, authoritative manner. "'Make me some sandwiches early to-morrow,' he said, "'and you'll have to go to the auction. I shan't go myself.' "'How can I go now? Who's to do the cheeses? Give em to the pigs. "'Who's to meet the groom from Farnley? Never will I go. "'If you're so damned impudent, you'll have to leave.' "'Who's going to meet the groom?' Besson spoke with surly, astonished meekness. "'Groom? Groom be hanged. Wire to him. "'It'll take me the best part of two hours to go to the telegraph.' "'And it costs money, and dinner at the auction costs money.' "'Oh!' cried Reddin, with intense irritation. "'Take this, you fool!' He flung his purse at Vesens. "'Well, well,' thought Vesens. "'I'm a numerum. "'He's fretched along of her marrying the minister. "'Long live the minister,' says Andrew. End of chapter 17 Recording by Rachel Lintern Bristol, UK.